Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel. And yes, back live again because uh, COVID sort of uh, settled down a little bit and uh, we're allowed out and about. And it is a beautiful day outside. Riding along, I was completely mesmerised by uh, the fact that the sun was actually shining. It was a lovely, lovely experience. Anyway, uh, the uh, program that today, uh, Showreel, about um, uh, Australian... uh, films and filmmakers and uh, such like. Uh, Today we're going to concentrate on uh, the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, uh, which, uh, like all film festivals, have uh, had problems over the COVID periods, but they're back and they're actually going to have their festival July the 21st to July 31, so 10 days in July. 10 days in July, so put it in your calendar. They have uh, an absolutely wonderful, eclectic uh, mix of features and shorts, and uh, I'm going to be focusing a little bit on some of those uh, filmmakers who have made shorts. Uh, You might be interested, if you go to the Nova website, uh, you'll see a breakdown of some of the uh, films that they've got on. Uh, There's quite an interesting array of uh, explorations into music. So, for example, Uncle Kutcher Edwards uh, is being featured in a a film, which will be interesting to people from 3CR. The Rumba Kings and... uh, India Angel's songwriting process, that sort of thing. So if you're a music aficionado, it would be worth your while to run through the list to see if there's something there in particular. There's a bit of politics. There's a film about Julian Assange, The Price of Truth, which is a a pretty interesting um, uh, film to go and see. Also uh, about uh, a film about Venezuela. So there's quite a few things there that uh, you might be interested in. Today I'm going to be talking to uh, the wonderful Lucinda Horrocks and Jari Nemo. Now I uh, featured them a couple of weeks ago because of their production company Wind and Sky uh, but uh, this is a film that's been accepted into the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. It's from Wind and Sky. It's called Harbour Lights. And it is uh, a look at the Siemens uh, uh, mission, uh, that really interesting building down near the, um, oh, at the end of Docklands, down in that whole swamp of uh, busy roads down that way at the end of uh, uh, 
Um, anyway, it, uh, they'll, they'll explain. We'll get on with that. And uh, after that, we'll talk to uh, uh, Yao Ming about his film Last Typewriter Shop in Melbourne. So we've got a historical sort of bent going on today. Let's talk about um, Harbour Lights now, because I know Harbour Lights is a, a film that's just going, uh, just been accepted at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival and will be showing at uh, the Nova. The uh, archival footage in that is just tremendous. Beautiful, isn't it? Oh, fantastic. Turn of the century Melbourne with the tram and the, the little kid following, chasing the horse and cart. Yeah. And the streetscapes. The streetscapes, the narrow streetscapes with the cars as well as uh, a horse carriage at the same time. Uh, what street was that? Was it? There's a couple it's of Little Collins. I think it's Little Collins Street. There's a few. There's there's Flinders Street. Yeah. There's a little Little Lon yeah, is one of them, which yeah. was notorious. That that's with the grinning urchins. Um, and we don't know that he's really an urchin. I just there's a little bit of poetic bias. <laughs> yeah. He looks. He looked like a street urchin. I thought he was probably just a newspaper kid or something. But, um, but I thought the modernity in that was beautiful. The shots are very unusual. And where did you get them? Um, it was a combination. There was we got some from the uh, National Film and Sound Archives. Uh, there's a famous film which is about Melbourne and it's about 20, uh, about 1911 is when that um, some of the footage, that footage of the trams going down Flinders Street and Collins Street and um, the, the women in their beautiful white, white Edwardian yeah, gowns and huge hats, that's, that's from about 1911. And then there's a footage from slightly earlier than that which is, I think, about... It's Burwood, and then there's also some footage of a biscuit factory, which is there's these workers oh, um, be, that would be Port Melbourne. biscuit factory in South Melbourne. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, Swallow and Ariel biscuit factory. Yeah, they've changed it into flats, but the uh, the um, signage on the outside, which is carved into the stone, is still there. Um, um, Jerry cut it, but um, there was uh, the the footage has a um, some guy gets run over by a cart mm. in about like the next minute. <laughs> oh, so that yeah, it gets hit by a horse. Which, um, yeah, it's remarkable. Oh, that's interesting because uh, one of my um, my uh, relatives, my pop's father, was killed in um, Gertrude Street, corner of Gertrude and Brunswick, by being run over by a, a horse and cart when he was twenty five. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, uh, it must have been quite a Yeah. Yeah, so, so that footage. And then we found some amazing footage from the US. The, um, there was a repository of World War One reels that had all been digitised. And there was this incredible footage of these um, sailing merchant ships that had been blown up by German troops in World War One. That was that was this gorgeous, fragile tall ship, um, black and white tall ship. Actually sinking. Actually being sunk. We didn't show it being sunk. We were too, it was too bad, but it was, it was beautiful. It was the last, very last of the square riggers, and they're really very unusual. 
very unusual footage because mm. the square riggers were uh, showing the square riggers were still there mm. during that conflict. Mm. Did, did, did you uh, get a lead to that sort of footage or is you, has your experience enlarged so much that you know where to look? I knew, yeah, I knew where to look. I'd come across this US, the Library of Congress, I'd come across that in previous research. So, yes, I've compiled a kind of research note because, of course, a lot of this material is public domain, but it's not easily accessible. And, and you know, on the micro budgets that we're working on, we're always wanting to try and get really good quality footage that doesn't contravene copyright, but that, that we don't have to pay huge licensing fees for. So, so to find sort of public domain repositories is really important to us. A lot of the stills in Harbour Lights came from the State Library of Victoria, which, to do them credit, they released their public domain photographs in full, glorious, high-definition TIFF files for the public to access. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, they are, and it shows. I mean, it's just so beautiful what we can do when we have access to the high definition of some of those. Because that photography in that area era was really, really um, super high quality. So if you've got a high quality digital version of something, you can just see the detail of it. I should mention to the listeners that uh, Harbour Lights is about the uh, mission to seamen, seafarers and the ladies Harbour Light Guild. So you were doing historical, but the way you uh, encased it all in this uh, social history. Uh, it was very personal, very cl up close. You really had a sense of uh, the the people in the street and the sailors, who it was all about. Oh, good. I'm pleased that came through because um, we were a bit worried that we weren't we weren't able to touch anyone who knew any of our characters. So how can we tell that story, bring it alive, if you don't have anyone who remembers? that you can speak to, but um, maybe Jerry can talk a bit about how you managed to bring that story alive. Um, yeah, that, that was quite difficult because, um, again, with budgetary restrictions, the, a vision of that would have, would have encompassed modern-day uh, seafarers, which would have been beautiful to juxtapose against because their life's um, still extremely difficult, but difficult in a really different way. Um, and the shortness of the film and then the not really being able to do that for the budget to be able to, because it would be expensive to go on board ships and to, to just get the clearances is terrifically difficult to get in the moments of the dock work and things like that. So the um, cost of that would have been too much, but that would have been beautiful to get that personal idea because when you're at the mission, which is still operating today, it's still full of full of young sailors in, the, in their early 20s who are away from their families for months and months at a time on very, very different sorts of ships, uh, but huge ships with very few people on them instead of small ships with large numbers of people. So, it's, um, so the telling of the, of the human side of that story was, is, is quite difficult, but the photographs helped enormously with that because it did capture parts of Melbourne and a feeling of Melbourne that I don't think a lot of people know existed, especially down around that around that dock area, which would have just been so dizzy at the time. Every so often, 
you did things which I found really interesting in that uh, collage of uh, um, images and footage. Uh, every so often you just let the sea go. You let the sea in. And um, anybody who's been out in the ocean uh, will, I mean, I went on the ferry across this uh, Tasmania and that the sea is just extraordinary. And you do that, you put it in as a sort of a margin to the parts of the story. And you did something else. Uh, when you started uh, the interview with one of the fellows, you left a blank, uh, a black screen before we went in. It was like a really nice um edging in to a, a, a voice outs, outside the images very clever oh thank you um my um uh, i have to come clean and say first of all i grew up in tasmania so um to see it down there is you know you're always 10 feet from it seemingly um and also i've, I've sailed for years and um and for a while I was delivering sailboats in bass strait so um yeah, I've got a very, I've got a very, um, very uh, connected feeling to the sea. Yeah, that yeah, I love that motif too. And it, in fact, that starts the whole um, piece. There's the there's the the intro to the to the Melbourne streetscape, and then there's the sound. I love the sound of the storm, the the whipping of the of the waves, and that that um, the clinking of of um, sails on it's the mast. It's actually the knocking because it's wooden, so so they're um, they're proper sound effects because the, you're used to the sound of clinking now because of metal masts and metal cables. Um, but the sound in that is actually wooden blocks because they make a knocking noise. They don't make the same sound. Did you and get the sound of rope? I didn't know that he got that particular sound effect. That's amazing. <laughs> that reminded me because I mean the thing about it is is that it's a very short film which does covers a lot of ground and there's also the thing about women doing good works which was uh, pretty important to the guts of the film uh, but it, you did it was the fabric of the film that's so exciting it's visually and the sound I did notice the sound effects but I forgot to mention it, it makes a difference yeah we um we we love work, working in sound and, and we actually, sound often leads the story in a lot of our films. For a while, of some of our films, we didn't use external music because we weren't very happy with the sort of, um, you know, royalty-free stuff you could download. It wasn't capturing the, the emotion that we wanted. So we did quite a few films where we, we just did soundscapes. That was really good training ground to try and use uh, sound effects and the simple people's voices and create that emotional undercurrent that only audio can give you in a film. Yeah, I think you became quite good at that, Jerry. Um, yeah, I, I remember us consciously deciding that we'd do it without music for other reasons because I thought we were, um, it was, um, yeah, kind of stolen emotions, if you like, that wanted to not put our emotional intent on things in the early stages was another thought that we had. But what what did come out of that was our technical skills had to get much greater because you can't hide your technical faux pas 
in amongst music, which anybody that knows about the technical aspects of, of that would realise that if you've got any dodgy sound or anything during interviews, um, that you can often cover it with some music or a, a loud air conditioner in the background or something like that. So we had to be we had to be get very very good at, um, at, at production sound. Hi, my name is Rolf de Heer. I don't live in Melbourne. I live across the water in Tasmania. But if I did live in Melbourne, my number one radio station would be 3CR because it's about community and community matters. And you're with Annie Unshow. We'll look at Australian filmmakers and uh, their efforts out there. At the moment, uh, we are looking at a few films that are going to come up at the uh, Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, which is at Nova, July 21 to July 31. And... um, We've just been speaking to Lucinda Horrocks and Jerry Nemo, who uh, have a film called Harbour Lights. A lovely film, really, really interesting film, and anybody who knows Melbourne at all will be absolutely fascinated by it. Thank you very much for people who donated to Showreel's uh, contribution to uh, 3CR's Radiothon. You can still donate. Uh, June is the uh, deadline. Uh, of course, you can donate any time. You can cu- become a subscriber. Uh, we're almost reached our target on Showreel, but of course, uh, I have uh, fingers in pies with Solidarity Breakfast and Stick Together, and uh, they're uh, not doing as well as Showreel. So if you want to throw some money towards uh, those pots, I'd be incredibly pleased. You can do it online, 3cr.org.au forward slash donate, or you can, of course, ring in or SMS or do any, you could even knock on the door these days. Um, now we're going to go to another uh, historical kind of uh, little film. It's a shorter film, and it's by a first-time uh, filmmaker called Yao Ming. Uh, it's called The Last Typewriter Shop in Melbourne. So uh, The Last Typewriter Shop in Melbourne, how did you uh, start your filmmaking career, and why did you start with this? Um, well, I started my filmmaking career, well, um, actually underwater, actually. <laughs> I... I I was um, I, I do a lot of scuba diving. Well, I used to do a lot of scuba diving, and um, uh, I just decided to just start my filming there because um, it's you know beautiful. I, I it's just amazing underwater. And um, then what happened was um, I met Tom because uh, I collect typewriters, and um, as you do, uh, I, I like I like the old mechanical stuff. It's, oh yeah. It's uh, cute, um, it's interesting, and they've got a different sensation altogether from uh, computers. And um, uh, I, then I started to create a, a Facebook page for him because he didn't have one and he didn't know how to use a computer. Um, it, it was just basically a need I saw that he needed to have. And once he had the Facebook page, then his business just took off. Um, and um, he... He got an interview with, well, he got an article written about him in The Age. And then um, then after that, Channel 9 also um, interviewed him. And then um, uh, I thought, well, th- somewhere in between, I decided, let's go and do a documentary on, on Tom before, um, you know, before he retires. And um, I did that, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. The uh, Some of those writers are absolutely beautiful and sculptural, aren't they? Yeah, they are beautiful. I mean, um, at one point in time, I mean, they, they were sort of like the computers that people needed to have, the machines that, that people needed to have. 
Yeah. Um, of course, then computers came along and it became obsolete. Mm. So there's a, a, a variety of things because it's quite static. The notion of the, of the film is quite static, but uh, it, your character, which is Tom, and of course the uh, shop and the, the environment of the shop and the beautiful uh, typewriters themselves. Uh, it, I mean, it could be a boring film, but it's actually an interesting film. So how did you decide oh. to create the uh, narrative? Um, that's a good question. We just shot it, I guess. Um, I mean, we, I had a few ideas on how to do it. It was really hard trying to convince Tom to do the interview. That was the thing. It took about two years to, to convince him to, to do a documentary. And then it, it took like six months or so before he would allow us to film him in his shop. Um, and of course, trying to arrange for the camera guy to be there and everything else, was um, uh, that was a, a logistical um, difficulty also. So you're a man with patience. <laughs> I think you have to with with some of the with with this particular feel, yeah. Because uh, he was he was quite reluctant to do it. Yeah, he was very he was very reluctant to do the Facebook thing. Then he was, but then after that, once everything sort of opened up, then he he realized I wasn't trying to scam him or anything. <laughs> and and then. Uh, then the documentary, and then he got he got really nervous about it, and he didn't want to do it because his, his, he's got fishing gear and car parts in his shop, um, and um, then he you know he he had to take his time to to clean it up, and then we just brought the I brought the cameraman down there. Thank thank you, thank you, Con Philippides. Uh, um, he was very very helpful, my camera guy. Um, I really I'm really indebted indebted to him. Um, and then I had a few ideas. Basically, I wanted to shoot it. Um, I wanted to shoot it, shoot it like you're entering into um, like a cave or something, um, like a, a walk into a rainforest. Because he's got all these typewriters on 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 both sides of the wall, and it's all messy. It's a bit and it's a bit like walking into a, like a forest, you know. Mm, yeah. Or Aladdin's cave. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, and um, so it was just. I thought, okay, we've got to get a few interesting camera angles, and then we need to have the interview, and um, then we even went from there. Oh, um, I also should mention that my editor, uh, Sean uh, Meltzer, uh, or Sian Sian Meltzer from Raw Digital, he helped me a lot with the. Um, with the structure of the story and everything, because it was like Tom, we 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 did several hours of video and uh, interviews, and um, I, I was like I was uh, stuck for a long time. I wasn't too sure what to do, how to tell the story. But um, Sian helped me craft it, and um, then we're here. So so what did you learn when you were doing the editing? The first first thing to do was trying to introduce him, trying to introduce the character itself. And after that, trying to draw the audience in. And after that, um, there's some bits about the typewriter stuff, which I've, some people say, some, some, some people say that it's, 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 it was unnecessary. But because it was about a typewriter shop, I felt that um, he should talk about his typewriters, his machines. Because um, 
who's going to watch it, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, quite, I like that. Quite, li- quite likely going to be um, uh, a lot of um, typewriter enthusiasts. So they want to hear, <laughs> you know, um, want to hear it. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit like it's a bit like um, okay, let's let's talk about cars, car building, and then and then you don't talk about the cars, and it's like yeah, okay, that's that's great. You talked about his personal life, but didn't talk about the cars. Great. <laughs> yeah, no, I like the stuff about uh, what he you you. said about the uh, typewriters, and I and I because I find them fascinating too, uh, and also the uh, his knowledge. I mean, quite clearly, their intricate machine, but also the fact that uh, his uh, eyes have been opened by the fact that being the last touch writer shop in Melbourne, he's now got a clientele that. Uh, stretches across the world yeah yeah ever, ever since i created that facebook page for him um he 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 always tells me that um he's getting so many customers now from uh, from perth from um darwin even um everywhere yeah um because he really is the he's not only just the last typewriter shop in melbourne he's the last typewriter shop in in australia now i asked around and there's there's I mean, I didn't want to say Australia because it's like it sounds like quite boastful in a way. Um, <laughs> and you never know. I mean, there might be there might be someone out there, um, you know, in Adelaide or uh, or Canberra who still has a typewriter shop, and they'd be going, "No, oh, you you didn't you didn't uh, tell the truth." Mind so, you, I, okay. uh, I do. I, I do like the title. It's quite poetic. It's like a little poem, like an Ezra Pound poem or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cute. It's, uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's it's nice. I mean, because you, you hook it onto a particular town, you know, it's like, oh, sorry, not town, city, and um, it's 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 here. Yeah, it's almost like um, uh, heroic in a way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? In a small way. Um, you've obviously sent it off to New York, uh, a New York festival as well as a a London festival, and been accepted. Yeah, I sent it to I sent it to about twenty or thirty festivals, you know, um, and most of them have been rejections. Um, The most disappointing one was the St Kilda Film Festival. I thought, (laughs) I thought. Come on, friends. I mean, we're only just 15 minutes away. Do you want me to drive down there and, and um, you know, <laughs> knock on your door? Um, but uh, no, St. Kilda didn't have nine minutes to to give us for the for the uh, film festival. So that was that was that really hurt a, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but of course, it's going to be on at the uh, Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, which is great. And the uh, other thing is. Uh, uh, what have you got any other ambitions for making films now that you've made this one? Um, I'm I'm a bit of a well I'm an amateur filmmaker I sort of like wing it as I go along. Um, I've got no I've got other plans to to do stuff but most of them I mean I just it's just ideas that I write down you know scripts and they 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 are quite. Um, I mean, if you read them, you realize, oh, geez, that's that's going to cost like twenty, twenty or thirty million dollars to do. <laughs> You're not going to do it, friend. And so I just I just write stuff down, and um, hopefully through this um, small documentary, I get to meet other people who can who can help me um, 
do those or do something similar. And that's Yao Ming. His uh, film, uh, Last Typewriter Shop in Melbourne, is going to be part of the uh, program at the uh, upcoming Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, July 21 to July 31, 10 days in July. Uh, upcoming is uh, published or not. Uh, uh, sayonara, going out with uh, It Will Be Different next year. Live with Welcome to Night. Friday I'm gonna work my dad's business of friends and Friday night I'm staying home watching activities I've quiet night with my own mum and my own grandparents. With my sister and her brother-in-law, no, my brother-in-law, I mean, her husband, and they have kid called Isaac Avenue. That makes me um, super uncle. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.